Hi, welcome back. You are in for a riveting, riveting two-part societies and stereotypes in Harry Potter. Who? I'm host Sarah. I'm Delaney. And this is (laughs) not our best intro. That's okay. Uh That's okay. We are not going to try again because you guys will love us anyway. Yeah, whatever at this point. We're a mess. We... (laughs) Whoops. We just finished our relationship series. If you haven't listened to those episodes, go back and do that. They're great. All about friendship, romance, and families, which who doesn't love a good relationship? We are moving right along. We're going to do a little two-part on the stereotypes in society, and then we will start our death series. So that will be a death series. That's how you just said Yeah. It'll be a many part series. We're thinking it's gonna be like a lot of episodes. So we'll we're just gonna talk about some oppressive society and then we'll talk about people dying. Woohoo. And then we'll have to talk about something else, I guess. (laughs) Is there anything else in Harry Potter? People being oppressed and dying? Uh no. Yeah, pretty much. I guess there's magic, but you know whatever. But we talk about magic all the time. It may be time to talk about magic again. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> so we do have a little pensive corrections for this week. We just said that we would update you. Um, when we did the families episode, there was a lot of lineage that we were not totally sure on because it's not super clearly defined in the book. However, Pottermore is obviously a great resource for firming that up. And the Abbots and the Longbottoms are, in fact, related through marriage. <laughs> we just wanted to verify that. As with a majority of the Wizarding families, however, it gets kind of muddy up at the very beginning, though, because there were only 28 families in this particular area of the Wizarding world that then had all of the people, for the most part. So there is a chance that they are, like, distantly, distantly related. I don't think enough for it to be an issue, though. And, I mean, aren't we all? I've been doing ancestry research, and I feel like we're all related. Oh, man. I got a ping for my 23andMe, and it said I had a thousand new relatives. And I thought, ugh. Yeah. Gross. Sounds about right. Yeah. Jeez. They're they're like fifth cousins. Yeah. I will not be meeting them. Yeah. So, anyways, this week's weekly wizarding question is one that I semi-stole from another podcast. So, I will give them credit. I was listening to the Quibbler and this was, they were more focused on a conversation. They're reading um, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince right now. And they're focusing on a conversation about Hermione's competitiveness and potions and how does Harry really have an advantage because he's, you know, he's just got words. It's not like anyone's doing the work for him. He's just got a better way to do it. And it kind of spurred the question, can muggles make potions? So yeah. in, a, in a perfect scenario, potions is, as Snape famously said, There's no foolish wand waving going on. Potions is fairly cut and dry. You follow instructions as you would with a recipe. You make sure you have the right ingredients and you mix them together correctly. And there, at least from what I've read, it doesn't seem like they have to bewitch the potion that they're making. Not always. There are some. Yeah. But for the most part, you just have to be able to combine it correctly and, and give it the right amount of attention and, follow the instructions so if these ingredients were available to muggles which we know that a lot of them come from just the natural world i think muggles could totally make potions i think so too i mean we all we know that muggles uh that potions work on muggles the magical effects so Mm -hmm. i don't feel like it's something that 
the muggles can abstain from like i feel like they'd definitely be able to yes i feel like for sure and it makes me wonder so why aren't squibs just master yeah chemists that's what i was gonna say is that why wouldn't squibs then take up potion making yeah i guess because like we'll talk about in a little bit a lot of squibs end up leaving the wizarding world before they get to that point because they're not exactly accepted by society but i totally think given the book and the ingredients that a muggle could make a potion for sure just obviously not the ones where you have to do like an incantation but we've seen a lot where you don't have to do any of that so yeah, why a, a majority of them you don't have to it looks yeah. like at least from the ones they learn at the at the primary school level so i right. absolutely think so yeah i agree i think so too so all the muggles out there we'll get brewing we'll get brewing we'll get brewing uh, okay tell the pharmaceutical companies we'll get brewing see i snape would have made a killing yeah, he would have. His talents were wasted. Well, that's what um I believe it's Harry's uh relative, like ancient relative, did that. Mm-hmm. He made potions for his like muggle neighbors and everything, and yep. he was thought of as like a little, he was the little, little witch doctor. doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, so funny. <laughs> which it's <clears throat> so good that we don't have a live audience. Yeah, Holy true. moly. Yeah. Um so this week we're still tired. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. True. I, You're gonna make me on. I know. I start clinical tomorrow, and they're just long. They're early mornings. They're long days. It's. I have pediatrics this term, which. Ugh. I just yawned. Damn you. Ugh. Yeah. So you can tell that we are hyped for this episode. Actually, we are so very hyped. excited about this episode. We are, but we're just very tired people. We're just, we're, yeah, we're just tired gals. But mm. anyways, that's probably it for our intro. So we are just gonna go ahead and dive in because this gonna be long. It is going to be long. Damn. So, stereotypes in society, included in stereotypes but not included in the title because it gets super long. There are a lot of um, what I would say are pretty universal biases that mm-hmm. wizards have. There are a lot, prejudices, of, a lot yeah. of prejudices, a lot of stereotypes that everyone in some capacity seems to conform to, including the Weasleys. And the Weasleys are, at least for me, they were who indicated that these, <clears throat> these stereotypes were in fact very ingrained in the fabric of the society. Yeah, because- I think we see, yeah, I think we see a stereotypical, each one of these at some point. We do see some that break them, but, but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean... And yeah, and the Weasleys, who we have deemed one of the most tolerant, open, accepting, muggle-loving family out there, still believes in some of these, at least to some level. And For the sure. only people who seem to have any issue with it are muggle-borns or people who, like Harry, are not muggle-born, but they grow up in muggle society a lot more than other wizarding kids are. Yeah. So... There's a really stark distinction between what Harry and Hermione think is okay and what Ron thinks is okay. Even though yeah. Ron's family is, you know, a lot more all-inclusive. So, yep. there are, well, when we went to put together this episode, we realized there are a lot more of these than we initially thought. So, yeah. that's why we're going to be doing a two-part on this. So, today's episode, we're going to be covering centaurs, giants, goblins... 
and vampires. And then mm-hmm. next week we will cover house elves, werewolves, mer people, velas, and half bloods, squibs, and muggles. So nice. heavy, heavy topics. And yep. a lot of this, although not written in the current time, obviously these came out, these started coming out in the nineties. So it's been oh, it's been almost twenty years now. Wow. It's been maybe even more than 20 years for some of these. Yeah, I was going to um, say, I'm pretty positive it's been over 20 years. It's probably been over 20 years. The, so there are a lot of parallels that can be drawn between what we see and read about in the book, even though it's not about necessarily people, that you will be able to apply to the current sociopolitical climate because, damn, we got some issues. Yeah, we do. Oh, so we are just going to dive into it. We've kind of split these up into two categories which is stereotypes that are oppressive and then stereotypes that don't necessarily seem to impact the group that they're about, which doesn't make it right. But there's definitely a really big contrast between how like centaurs are treated and how vampires are treated. Although they both have a little bit of a taboo aura about them. So yeah. Yeah. First on the list, centaurs who we love centaurs. I love them. Yeah, Ferenz is awesome. cool as shit. Yeah. They save Harry's life. They also try yeah. to kill him. But, you know, they're very I territorial. Mean, <laughs> I was going to say, they're not the kind of pe- like the creatures that I'd be like, oh my god, I want to be friends with them. But, like, they're pretty cool still. They're like, very they're, cool. Yeah. They're very just not cool. very warm or loving. <laughs> but, you know, that's fine. Which is okay because, at least in um, JK's world, they're complex, brilliant creatures. Right. Right. Um, and they they really are what I would say is one of the closest to blurring the lines between human and non-human, obviously, yeah. because they're, you know, half horse, half human. Yep. Um, but hers are, her centaurs are very unique and very different to our centaur for the purposes of Greek mythology, which Delaney pointed out really well that. Greek mythology portrays them as being very brutish and animalistic, and they are much more horse than they are human. Right. And right. JK's version is definitely um, the opposite. They're very smart. They, they're just constantly talking about how awful wizards are because wizards are so selfish <laughs> and so self-righteous and yeah. emotional, and they just are so not good at putting things into perspective. Yeah. And... Um, obviously, we see that centaurs are very concerned with big picture, and they focus on the cosmos rather than the Earth, because there's just so many bigger things out there. Yeah, and I I think that uh, J.K. centaurs actually, like, flip the uh, traditional Greek mythology, like, on its head, because humans thought that centaurs were, like I said, like, the brutish and animalistic and um, barbarian type. And that's how the centaurs think of wizards in mm-hmm. her books. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because... So, obviously, Ferenz becomes the divination teacher at Hogwarts. Right. In this end of the fifth year, beginning of the sixth year? I think so. Ish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people seem to be pretty cool with it. But, right. But at the same time, exterior to the castle... Centaurs at that time are being rounded up and placed on what can only be drawn as a parallel to reservations. Their their yep. territory is being cut down and cut down and cut down, and they're being very closely monitored by the government. So I guess the government just doesn't function within the walls of Hogwarts because 
everywhere else, centaurs are being rounded up and regulated. Yeah. But I people mean, are like, I maybe people weren't cool with their kids being taught by a centaur, and we just don't get that through the narrative. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. It's such a stark contrast to, like, how people reacted to Lupin. Mm-hmm. So that part confused me because... Like, Umbridge's um, reaction towards centaurs are is, like, so extreme that I'd think that more people out there have that same reaction, but Me- she's maybe also horrible. I, I don't know what it is about werewolves, and we will, um, well, we won't talk about werewolves today, but we will talk about werewolves eventually next yeah. week, I guess. But yeah. something about werewolves, they are just automatically worse than everything yeah. else. And I don't, I don't really get it. I don't know if it's because... It's an, it's almost like an affliction that turns a human into another being. I right, don't know if that's most part of, of it. Most of these are born in the state that they are. Right. And I don't know, because we kind of got into like the vampire werewolf debate last week. I don't know if it's that vampires are born vampires in the JK world. We don't really get a whole lot of information about vampires. We know that people no, are turned don't. into werewolves, but we don't really know. You know maybe vampires are naturally existing Maybe. I don't know. Maybe werewolves aren't, so right. that's why people are, like, they're afraid of them. But I don't know. people, I, I don't know, Friend seems like a great teacher. Dumbledore's yeah. very excited to have him on staff. The kids love him. Yeah, they do. Even even Harry is like, this guy knows what the yeah, he's, he's talking about. Yeah, he just knows he makes people feel like divination is not kooky. Yeah. Which I think takes a lot of work after <laughs> yeah, Trelawney, after Trelawney. So, yeah. that was great. I mean, he, Ferenc himself, is at the top of his station that he can get to, it seems like. But yeah. the the interesting part about the oppression of centaurs is that beca- centaurs operate in their own space. And yeah. even though it seems like maybe they're kind of held accountable to wizards, wizards and centaurs don't seem to interact enough to where centaurs are, like, oppressed-oppressed because they have their own economy they right. have their own cities. They have their own systems. They don't seem to really respond to the oppression because they don't right. care. I guess. I mean, like you, like you pointed out, like the um, uh, symbolism for like the reservation and the Indian tribes and everything. That's like, mm-hmm. that's good because I think totally, yeah, I think that's but a good parallel. This one is an interesting one because centaurs are absolutely an oppressed magical creature. Yeah. But they seem fairly unconcerned with it. Yeah. It's only the very last pages, really, of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, where the government is severely restricting them, that there seems to be any conflict. Because otherwise, they kind of just do their own thing in their own, they operate in their own space. And it's, it's very interesting. It's very interesting dynamic. Yeah. And, and we know that, um, early on with native American cultures and, and living in America and everything, it was kind of similar until mm-hmm. like the reservations until it started getting too uh, bad. Yeah. So. Until, until the, the line that divided them started to get really, really thin. And then all of a sudden it, it was problematic. Right. So right now Good there parallel. is, there is one internet belief, I guess that we do have to talk about because it seems to be fairly prevalent and I don't know. I don't know how to do an on-air trigger warning, but this is a trigger warning for sexual assault. We yeah. disagree with this wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. But, but there is no way without JK confirming one way or another to determine what is true. Because I, there are points that I can see how people would think that, but I just don't think that that's something JK would write in. 
And that is yeah. that when Umbridge is carried off by the centaurs, um, kind of in the middle-ish of, well, I guess kind of more towards the end of Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix, that they rape Umbridge. Yeah. Which that would mean that JK not only was writing sexual assault into a book that has no sexual component at all at all and that she also created centaurs in her own way but then reverted to the one negative aspect of them that our world portrays which is the brutish aspect because in greek mythology centaurs do that right they rape women a lot yeah so that's somewhat that's a somewhat prevalent idea we don't buy into it yeah, and I really, I don't have a mind, I don't really mind people, like, suggesting that maybe that was it, or maybe that's how they took it. I have a problem with people suggesting that's a absolute fact, because nowhere in there is it actually said, or even highly suggested. That's people reading into it, in my opinion, but... Yeah, people I, assume mm. that because she comes back looking disheveled, that she's been sexually assaulted. I mean, they she drug was, her through a forest. She, yeah, she was struck through the woods. I just don't know that I agree with that. Yeah, no. I, it sounds to me like they might have tried to kill her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Murder, sure. 100%. We're Definitely. cool with that in Harry yeah. Potter. Yeah, um, but the only think. The mm-hmm. only thing I think that gives it any weight whatsoever is that Ferenz has excessively different views on wizards than a majority of the other centaurs do. So Ferenz... I think wouldn't buy into a lot of the activities per se that other centaurs may do. He seems to be on the outer edge of the centaur gang that roams around the forbidden forest. So, and and talk about uh, stereotypes and prejudice and prejudices and everything is that the um, centaurs also have a prejudice towards friends when he starts when he starts involved in a wizard like yeah, when, wizards. when he starts teaching they're like whoa he's we, like we don't banished. hang out with wizards yeah he's done so good yeah. thing he gets tenure yeah <laughs> sure so uh, that's centaurs i think they're cool i like them yeah i like i think them. they add an interesting little element i like that they uh are really honestly more intelligent than wizards and uh significantly yeah i, th- I think that's funny yes now to talk about a magical creature that is not significantly more intelligent than wizards. <laughs> and that is True. giants. And we actually get a lot of exposure to giants in mostly through Hagrid. Yeah. But actually there's quite a, a bit, in a actually. relational manner. But yeah, there is a lot of exposure to giants. They become one of the integral pieces in the game that Dumbledore and Voldemort are playing in terms of accumulating people to be on their sides the game of thrones yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) um and similar to centaurs giants are they're this weird on the edge they have a lot of human characteristics but they're Mm -hmm. also violent and kind of dumb and not very organized which the not very organized thing is very incorrect that's a that's one of the misconceptions that wizards seem to have about them because when Hagrid sits down and he starts explaining where he's been to the trio they are very organized they're organized into a lot of different tribes that live in relative harmony they're very nomadic they've got a power structure I mean they're they're a they're lot pretty self-sustaining yeah they're they're a lot like what we think early man was like yeah so obviously they become kind of upon Voldemort And Dumbledore are both vying for them to say, you know, we'll kind of fight on your side. And Voldemort actually gets 
he's much better at recruiting. He's so much better at yeah, recruiting. Yeah, his, his preseason, whew, way better. And yeah. he takes full advantage of the fact that even if Dumbledore is right in his cause, they will get more out of Voldemort winning because Voldemort will just let them do whatever they want. Allegedly. Alleged. Allegedly. And if, you know, if Dumbledore and the, quote, good people win, the ministry will still be in power and they will still continue to <laughs> oppress, regulate, and marginalize this group of individuals. Yeah, and I think that goes, I think that plays in Voldy's favor, for sure. Is oh, absolutely. These wizards have oppressed all these different beings, and then, like, it comes to bite them in the ass. Mm-hmm. And that's mm. that's one of the big points that Hagrid makes when he comes back, is that it's not that they are particularly invested either way. It, the outcome is just going to be a lot better for them, because, right. you know, it's not really their war, but yeah. one side will definitely leave them alone more than the other side will. Yeah, or Which, at least the hope of it. Yeah. Yeah, the hope of it. I sure. mean, Voldemort, I don't know. He's very passionate about humans and their statuses. But I I do kind of get the idea that he would be like, I don't care about giants. Like, nah. do whatever. They live, I'm, I mean, they live I'm in a really, really remote sure. area. Yeah. So Voldemort would have to work pretty hard to, like, get involved with them. You know? I agree. I mean, I'm not really sure what his thing would be he's clearly much more in like concerned about humans but yeah oh, yeah i mean but one side definitely is going to keep doing what they're doing the other one yeah. has some hope so i, I yeah. get it yeah so we see actually three solid examples of giants mm-hmm. as characters and then we also kind of get to learn a little bit more about giant culture obviously hagrid is a half giant that is not a shock to anyone, I hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, his <laughs> lady love, Madame Maxine, is a half giant. Although she seems to... I gotta, I gotta think of the way to say this. She knows that she's a half giant. Yeah. But she will not own to the fact that she's a half giant. And she's she continually just says she's big boned. She's literally a giant she's huge yeah she um, she works really hard to make it seem like she's not like right. she does not want to own that at all right and she breaks the stereotype of giants i think in all ways because she's oh, definitely she's smart she's pretty clever she's an educator i mean she is the headmistress of one of the three major academies so yeah clearly she's figured out how to not have her status work against her with Hagrid he seems to do what I would say is better than most giants but not the best he could have right he obviously runs into some academic and school-based issues early on in his career and so I mean he he could have if things had gone differently I guess you know finished his education and done things but he ends up being a groundskeeper which I mean, he likes his job. Yeah, he, he gets to be kind of an adjunct professor for a while. He's around people that he likes. He, you know, he's very loyal to Dumbledore. He's got a lot of responsibilities, but he's still kind of slower than everyone else. Yeah. And kind of low status. And, yeah. you know, for people like the trio who don't care about that, it's not an issue. But he gets a lot of flack, especially from Slytherins, about yeah. the fact that he is... He is who he is. So, yeah. But I, I do think that um, giants are also seen as like cold 
and kind of not very nurturing and Mm -hmm. um, all of that. And I think that Hagrid is obviously the exact opposite of that. And I think Madame Maxine shows that too. Um, So it's interesting to see where they break these stereotypes specifically. Like Mm -hmm. you said, like Hagrid is still kind of like Ophi. Right. But, but is a functional member of the school and is friends with people and is social and has a lot of responsibility and is trusted by a lot of people. So I think they, the fact that they were immersed in wizarding culture was a big definer of that because we meet Grop, excuse me, who is Hagrid's half brother, Mm-hmm. Who is all? I think he's a full giant. He is full giant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Hagrid's mom was a giant, and his dad was, was a dad? human, a human a wizard. Uh-huh. And then Hagrid's mom with another giant, I guess. So he's full yeah. giant, and he doesn't break the stereotype really at all. Uh, I think he breaks it slightly. Just, I mean, maybe just barely because when he starts getting some social interaction, he seems to be a little bit responsive to it. Yeah, I think we, he's responsive. I think he actually learns to speak English. He learns to say a few words. Yes. Yeah. He like he starts to learn that he's he's kind of tries to be gentle mm-hmm. when he can. Which, like, I I think socially he start he starts to get it, which is not something that giants are really supposed to be able to do right and he he's not accepted with his own kind he's no small and kind of weak and he's really picked on and that's the whole reason that Hagrid brings him back he's like well I couldn't just leave him there they would kill him yeah and (laughs) and I mean I think that shows exactly that he's breaking these stereotypes because he doesn't Mm -hmm. fit in with the rest of these giants now Grot specifically is (laughs) is a character that always really bothered me because me he comes in as a complete plot device and then we yeah. have no resolution. We have no idea where He's he goes purely and a plot what device. he does. He just yeah. totally disappears off to the, like off the face of the earth. So, you know, he's literally just meant to swoop in and save them. And that's all he gets. And that's all he's there for. No yes. real character development. Nothing. Yes. Yeah. So giants are another magical creature that I don't think they have magical powers. I don't think so either, no. Like, goblins and house elves, they definitely do. But I don't believe that giants do. But they, you know, obviously in the same world. But they, because they live, for the most part, so separately, they also, kind of similarly to centaurs, they function fairly independently. And then it's only because this wizarding war has spread so much that it's starting to encroach on their way of life that they right. seem to really be getting involved. However, they do still seem to be under the jurisdiction of wizards, and wizards do seem to decide where they can go and what they can do. Which, which is, is so crazy to It's me. crazy because we know for a fact that giants have their own system of government and justice. They, they are self-regulating in yeah, that way. It's so, it's so crazy to me that like the wizards would be in control of any of these creatures. Why wouldn't it be just like another... Like a separate like kingdom, country. like yeah. you know, the elves are over here and the goblins are over here, and you know they right. all have elected officials, and it's not right. very democratic in the wizarding no, world. Not weird. even the wizarding government is democratic. Let's be honest. No, it's they not. have a clause written in that they can just elect spontaneously a new minister of magic in times of war. So yeah, weird. weird. And they and they do that. Yep. And there's just an unspoken rule that they should call for a vote every like seven or so years and they just like do it. So, I mean, not that wizards are super organized anyways, (laughs) 
<laughs> we do that too. I mean, we vote Ours more is written for- at least. Yeah, I mean, they have to and they have, you know, term restrictions anyways. So giants I, in a lot of ways very similar to centaurs, totally opposite spectrums of what I would say is the intellectual oh yeah rainbow. However, yeah. function in freakishly similar ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um now a class of magical creature that does not function at all in a similar way are the goblins. Yeah. The goblins, <laughs> the, the goblin, this is probably one of the most difficult parts about the Harry Potter series for me because there was so much information that was missing. And I had, I still did stay have so many questions about goblins. Me too. The biggest one of that is they're trusted with the entire wizarding economy. They yeah. run all of the money. They are in charge of literally all of the money. All yeah, of it. It's crazy. I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe the answer's out there. And JK's talked about it. But are wizards really bad at math? <laughs> are they yeah, like, like, notoriously irresponsible with money? I don't understand. I know that goblins are very good metal workers. I know that yeah. they make really magical swords. Obviously, the sort of Gryffindor is forged by goblins. But right. the that doesn't mean that they should be in charge of the economy. All the money. Yeah. That doesn't mean that they should have singular autonomy over the banks because let's be real. It's not like the government has any say over the banking system. None. None like, whatsoever. I don't even think wizards can work really other than like Fleur was kind of doing like a receptionist kind of gig. Yeah. And then like Bill works as someone who is a code breaker who gives them money, but they don't actually work like in right like they're not bankers they're Mm-mm. not no doing anything of that they're other elements mm-hmm. working there it's so weird because also it's like okay so the goblins like they're very they're looked down upon like right by the wizards, they, wizards... but they run the economy but they just can't do anything else i don't so one we don't really hear of goblins having any other jobs yeah two we don't really hear of goblins living anywhere in particular no, we just hear about them at Gringotts. That's it. We don't hear about goblins outside of Gringotts. Yeah. But, no. Like almost. So we hear the story of Gryffindor's sword, but right. it's so many thousands of years ago that it's totally not pertinent to what we're talking about. And right. they're ugh, now. And it, it, I just question it. Like, how did it get from. Yeah, they make good swords and, like, metalworking and everything to running the entire world economy. I, How did they get there? I, there's something about, like, goblin gold is somehow special. Like, goblin metal is special. Yeah. It's not It's not just regular metal that they made the sword out of. It was goblin right. forged out of goblin-specific metal. But right. that's not the kind of metal that comprises the money. <laughs> so, right. Like, I don't see the connection I, here. I don't either. And there's an even bigger problem with goblins. And Mm -hmm. that is that, and it's, we have written that it's some people, it's actually a lot of people. A lot of people. A lot of people, including my dear sweet boyfriend who has only read or seen like maybe 20% of the Harry Potter stuff knows about this. And that is that JK's goblins to a lot of people seem to be caricatures of Jewish people. Yeah. And which I can see it. I can so here's my thing. Um, I don't think that they would be caricatures, but I do think that they are parallels for sure. 
I can see that. I don't think it's right. I I don't think it's in a malicious way, but I do think it I, could be seen as parallels. I think that there are some tricky, tricky elements that she chose to include. Yeah. And then also decided to draw a parallel. Um, for yeah. example, goblins are portrayed as having large hook noses. That was a bad yeah. call, JK. Yeah, and that's that was why, a bad call. Yeah, and that's why I think like I don't I don't even know if she made to do she made these parallels on purpose or not. Because yeah, I don't feel like if you're making that parallel that you would do that and not realize what you're doing. Or but, do that and think this is cool and nobody's gonna be upset about it. Right, like, right. So I don't, I don't know how much where we are drawing parallels, but, but I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things that are are similar to the Jewish uh, history and what happens in in the books. Yeah, I mean, I so it's pretty obvious that Voldemort could be Hitler, like obvious. easily. Oh, so easily. Many That's yeah. a very, very well respected fan theory. Oh, so yeah. easily. It, I mean, obviously a major player in the banking system for the past several centuries were the Jewish people who yeah. were also often oppressed. Yeah. Now, one issue with drawing that parallel for me is that goblins don't seem to not get along with Voldemort. Right. And a that's lot why of, I'm wondering. A if lot it's of them like actually actual... decide to like kind of side with him. Right. And that's why I don't think it's a full parallel or a caricature mm-hmm. really. I think it's, she may have, drawn on different like oppressed societies and peoples and just i don't know did this one or whatever or it just happened to be that way but yeah exactly so the the goblins are not the ones that hitler has an it or that, that voldemort has an issue with so yeah. yeah and for the most part goblins seem fairly uninterested in wizarding affairs yeah and wizards also seem fairly uninterested in goblin affairs. They right. wizards in general think that they're superior to everything. Muggles who are also humans, magical creatures, non-magical creatures. I mean, they just think they're better than literally everything. But yeah. a lot of these groups that they think they're better than and have jurisdiction over and seem to be in control of, but also they seem to function really separately from and goblins are one of those where Goblins are an integral part of wizarding society. Without right. goblins, they're non-functional in terms of banking and economics. Right. And goblins are very powerful. Yeah. Goblins and have magic that is very powerful. Yeah. And I think if there's any parallels drawn, it's purely just like that part that um, Jews were the first ones to be able to charge interest. They've been known with banking for like a long time. Mm-hmm. They practically invented it. Mm-hmm. But, and then they were like an oppressed people. So I think that's pretty much to me, in my opinion, where like the parallels stop. Mm-hmm. Because like, um, but, but yeah, they're, they're powerful. They have power in their own ways. They're kind of left alone in that way. Yeah. They don't, they don't really seem to answer to the government. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like Hogwarts answers more to the government than, Gringotts does. Gringotts is all the security in Gringotts is goblin based. They run all of it. There are no auras that protect Gringotts. They don't need it. They completely self-sustaining. They are completely self-sustaining. They figured out how to increase the amount of gold that they have. They figured out how to work within wizarding society's rules and still be very much so in charge. I mean, I think uh, some of the 
it's the oppression can kind of be overlooked for them because they figured out how to work within a system knowing full well if they were to decide they were done one day they could just be like all right we're taking the gold and we're leaving right their oppression is different than it's, like, it's so the yeah giants. it's so unique because they are essential to the wizards goblins yeah. are essential giants centaurs yeah if they disappear i don't know that the wizards would even bat an eye but right and and like the fact that like the um the centaurs and the giants like are oppressed in like their territories taken away their mm-hmm. limits on what they can do with goblins we don't see quite as much of that kind of restrictive oppression i mean there might be but no, it's not really touched we, on we never see goblins getting in trouble for anything we don't right I mean, we see centaurs who get in trouble with the government or government officials. We see some giants who get in trouble with government and government officials. But we, the goblins, right. we don't see them being with fined. The... We don't see them being charged. We don't see them even really being messed with by wizards. No, with the goblins, it's more of like a social oppression of just like mm-hmm. you're a lower class. Yeah, but you're, that's you're, about it. you're essential. You're not as good as us. But we know that if we get if we're too bad to you it would be really bad for us. Right. So there's this, there's this very weird understanding because goblins think that they're superior to wizards and wizards think that they're superior to goblins. And although wizards seem to be in charge, goblins have a really, really big hand that they could play. Yeah. It's, It's such an interesting dynamic. And the way that she writes it leaves so much open for speculation because we just really don't know where goblins fall. No. And we really don't. And one thing that, um, we were talking about like how we're so surprised that like uh, wizards actually like reign over these kinds of creatures, these magical creatures. So what I would think of is like with centaurs and giants, like they don't have magic. So maybe that's why the wizards end up being kind of like their rulers, but goblins have magic. House elves have magic. House elves have magic, but the house elf wizard dynamic versus the goblin wizard dynamic is so different. And it seems like you can draw a ton of similarities between goblins and house elves. Yeah. So I, I know that at one point in time, goblins were, there were a lot more of them and they were kind of a opposing force to wizards. We don't get a lot of that information, but when, um, Gripbook is telling the story of Gryffindor's sword and kind of how that mm-hmm. came to be. I got the sense that goblins used to be, there were a lot more of them. Yeah. And they kind of butted heads with wizards, but I don't know how that changed. I, we'll, right. have to, we'll have to do some research and get back to you guys on it next week. Definitely. Yeah, because yeah, I don't know. I do feel like that's a major change. And I feel like even of all these groups we've looked at, why aren't the goblins running the show? Or at least their own show. They're, I mean, goblins are smart. Goblins are organized. Goblins are powerful. It's weird. It's so weird. It's weird. Mm -hmm. So this next magical creature is one that we kind of put under the, for some reason, not truly oppressed category. And that is vampires. And we've started to talk about vampires a little. I really, we get two exposures to vampires. We get exposures to Gilderoy Lockhart in air quotes book on vampires Mm-hmm. And I think is a date with a vampire. No, is that what he calls his book? I don't think so, but maybe I don't know. I keep getting interview with a vampire in my head, but that is a movie, <laughs> and that is not the book. No, that is a good movie though. 
So I haven't actually seen oh, it. Oh, Voyages Anyways. with Vampires is his uh, book. Okay. Voyages with Vampires. And then we have Sanguini. <laughs> Sanguini. I just, uh, are all vampires <laughs> Italian? I hope they are. I hope so too. And he is at Slughorn's Christmas party. So we don't get a lot of exposure. And maybe as I reread, I'll see that we do get more exposure. But those are really all that jump out at me. We don't. That's it. So <laughs> they are not scary, blood sucking Transylvanian. They are mysterious. Twilight. They're glamorous. They're pretty Twilight. and seductive. And they have this Twilight. strange allure about them. Stop saying Twilight. they are though because they're very accepted in wizarding society for whatever reason i mean this guy who drinks blood and people have magnetism i i it it almost seems like have a vila magnetism in a way yeah where they're very appetizing to wizards and they have like a magnetic energy and a pull and He's around, like, girls that he could seduce and kill. And everyone's just super cool with everyone's it. Everyone's fine with it. I don't yeah. know if it's, like, that person who gets a tiger, but it's, like, very domesticated. So people are cool with it kind of thing. But, Vampires are domesticated. But Wizarding Society brands products towards vampires. Yeah. They have vampire candy. They have vampire treats. They have vampire friendly doodads in wizarding stores like they sell blood pops yeah on the shelves at all sorts of places i think the weasleys even sell them like it's very normal so basically everyone's okay with them living off of blood so here's my thing do vampires only drink muggle blood and that's why wizards are okay with them do they not drink wizarding blood you should have saved that for a weekly wizarding question, but no, true. we gotta we gotta we gotta mention it now, and then I'll do some research before we come back with part two, and I'll hit you up on little goblin history, and then if vampires can't drink wizarding blood, so I would think that wizards would be a formidable opponent, and that it would be much harder to drink the blood of a wizard than the blood of a muggle. True, however, so, they're still obviously attracted and drawn to them. Yeah, but. Maybe there's just an, kind of an unspoken societal thing that, like, hey, you don't do that. Maybe. I don't know. We don't get a lot of information on it. But although the vampires are a novelty, it seems, to the wizards. Yeah, they're, so, like, exotic. Exactly. So wizards are definitely seeing themselves as above the vampire. Yeah. But they want to bring the vampire around. They want to right. show them off to people. Um, right. So I, I get a lot of vibes about, like, exotic animal trade yeah, and exotic people trade back in the day, which was not okay. No, it isn't. It but was I was not okay. the same thing. But that's yeah. exactly what I think of. I mean, yeah. Americans, yeah. because we're terrible, awful, awful people who are so self-entitled and think that we can do whatever we want, used to do that. Yeah, I know. And it's nuts. bring them to the big city and like, show, show off, off what they found. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, how horrible can you be? Seriously, though. To but think yeah, that, that's, that's think what that, I thought of, too. That's just, you get that idea that it's just such a novelty. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if the novelty overwhelms the terror or if there's an unspoken rule or if vampires just can't drink wizarding blood, but they're totally cool with it in a way that they're not cool with a lot of other magical creature and entities on this list. Yeah. And I know we brought it up 
what was it like last episode where we talked about like uh werewolves and vampires mm-hmm. i just don't get i don't get the difference i, just I don't, don't i don't i'm I don't gonna know. have to do more research i we did have well you i think it was you that had a good point that um it may be that just because it's va- being a werewolf is kind of an affliction right and we'll talk about it more next week because vampires on our are not on our or werewolves are not werewolves. on our sheet this week but there are a lot of connections made between aids and hiv and werewolves in jk's mm-hmm. writing yeah. That and I don't know. Maybe she just didn't have the energy to put more into the vampire scene. Maybe she just wanted to kind of throw them in there for novelty, which it could that could be the case. You know, the reason that they're not oppressed really is because they're not written to be. Right. Yeah. But who? We will yeah. definitely we will definitely be coming back to vampires for sure. For we'll sure. Get back into that. Yeah. Man, there are some strange things in the society that don't make any sense. And then whatsoever. And I think that and then I look at our society and I go, no, that's about right. Yeah, true. <laughs> no, true. That, she just like mirrored it. it. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. So we're gonna stop here for this week with vampires, and we will pick back up next week with house elves, which Ooh. we just have so much to say about house elves. So we have, much. We have house elves, werewolves. And then, like, Half-Bloods and Squibs and stuff next week. And Velas. <laughs> and Velas and people. We have a lot more to go on. So that's going to kind of wrap up part one. We will definitely be doing some research on some of the things that were brought up tonight so that we can hopefully get a little more comprehensive view. Because, man, I got so many goblin questions now. <laughs> so many questions. So about many. Everything. We yeah. would love to get you guys involved in the conversation. And that means hit us up on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Lumos Maxima Podcast, on Twitter at Lumos Maxima Pod, and at Lumos Maxima Podcast at gmail.com if you've got super long thoughts. We will be obviously back next week with part two of our stereotypes in society in Harry Potter. And then we will be prepping for our death series. So if you have comments or questions or critiques or input on the death series, hit us up with those. We would adore you forever if you left us a rating, a review, and subscribe to our channels. We're available on, I think, 15 major streaming platforms now. I don't know Lots about a of lot them. of them. A lot of them I've never heard of, but I'm sure they're great. But I know for <laughs> sure that if you listen to us on Spotify or Apple, you can rate us. And on Apple mm. Podcasts, you can leave us a review and subscribe. You can give us Spotify, stars. Spotify, you Spotify, you can't rate. I thought you could leave stars for people on Spotify. Not that I know of. I'm pretty sure you can't rate. I'm pretty sure you can only subscribe. Okay, well, then you should do whatever you can do on the platform you listen to us on. Yeah. <laughs> favorite just... us. I Like on SoundCloud, you can make us a little favorite. Ooh. You know, stuff like that. Fancy. So that would be great. That makes us feel good. And it also helps other people find our podcast easier. We are always trying to grow. We are at like 1,500 plays now. It's super exciting. So we yeah, have really crazy. enjoyed making the podcast. We've got all sorts of great content coming up. And uh, we're just really excited to share our thoughts with you. So we'll be back next week with part two. Talk about some werewolves. Talk about some house elves. Get hyped for that. And uh, oh, yeah. Whoa. Don't sound so excited. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm perpetually tired. Uh, Anyways, uh, we will catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening and bye. Bye.